I think when we share that passion, we want to share that fire as well. Like, oh, I love fly fishing because there's always something we can connect upon when it comes to the sport. You know, whether it's our love for streamer fishing or if you have a saltwater guy talking to a Euro member, you know, it's, we still have the same desire. We still want to feel that tug. We still want to put our knowledge to use. And that shared desire to understand our surroundings, be one with nature, and get out there and fish and get out there and better ourselves every day. I think that shared passion is what makes us so easy to connect to each other. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We're thrilled to have on the program this time around Michael Ippolito. Michael is from Alt Fly Fishing Magazine, uh, also known as Ippy. Mike, thanks for coming on the program today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite some time now. Yeah, we've been playing a little telephone tag, but um, we'll get into the magazine and into your fly fishing experience. But I, I know you've been busy doing a big move as of late, haven't you? Uh, yes, sir. We just uh, made our way up from South Florida and uh, came up here to beautiful Saginaw, Michigan. We'll get into your uh, to your publication here. I just want to, I always like to kick the program off, Michael, as far as kind of get some background on you, your roots in, in the sport of fly fishing, the pastime, if you will. How, how did how did it come about for you? And tell us a little bit about your story. Well, actually, uh, my roots in fly fishing uh, don't extend that deep. Um, I've been fly fishing now for probably a few years, but, you know, the wheels really got turning um, just over a decade ago uh, in my late teens and early 20s. Uh, I played sports in college, and, you know, they pretty much, they have you from sun up to sun down. Um, 6 a.m. workouts, you know, then you have class in the afternoon, and then after class, you'd have practice, and the second you'd hop out of the shower, they'd have you right in there um, in study hall. And unfortunately, I had a few concussions and a heart ailment, and I was forced to retire, to put it gently. Um, I actually got out of the sport kicking and screaming, <laughs> trying to stay in because I loved it. Um, but, you know, with the departure of that in my life, um, I really needed something to kind of fill that void. You know, with you know sports, you're very much, you're always trying to better yourself. You're always trying to go out there the next day and do something better, execute something better, and expand your knowledge of the sport. And, you know, I took a year, year or two off to, um, you know, get my health right. And with that, I fell back in love with fishing, which I did in my youth. Uh, my grandfather taught me, um, didn't teach me fly fishing, but I put quite a few wind knots and uh, crow's nests in his uh, Shakespeare uh, conventional reels. <laughs> and I got back into conventional fishing. And you know what? Nothing against anyone that loves conventional fishing. It's a lot of fun, but, you know... I really wanted something that I could absolutely dive into 
and just explore every different aspect of it, you know, from, you know, the hatches to the different bait fish present given certain times of the year and the overall depth. And, you know, depth is a really good word to describe fly fishing because there is so much to it. Mm. And for a lot of us, uh, I know a lot of your listeners probably agree with me on this. And, um, you know, once you get into fly fishing, there's always something new to learn. There's always a new aspect to get into. And it's something that you can easily dedicate your life to. And once I got into it, really, I mean, I just picked up and ran with it. And I couldn't, I couldn't see my life now. You know, back then it was all about sports. But now with fly fishing, I couldn't see my life without it. It's become very much an obsession for me. Well, it always amazes me how many um, big-time athletes are into fly fishing as a pastime. I don't know if it's a, something about the release, or maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Well, you know, I can't say I go out to the water to escape anything. You know, the water, to me, isn't an escape. It's an embrace. You know, as a fly fisherman, it's an extension of who you are as a person. It's who you are in the boardroom. It's who you are in the classroom. It's who you are off the water, you know, all the meticulous preparation from getting your box set up perfectly with the different times of day and the different hatches or making sure you have every different aspect covered. And if you're heading out in the salt and you're going out and you're going to be fishing bait fish and switching down to, you know, shrimp patterns and crab patterns and the like, you know, hitting different spots while you're out there in the salt. And it's that meticulous dedication to it that really kind of harkens to what it is to be a professional athlete. You know, I didn't get to play professionally. Uh, college was the highest I went, actually my sophomore year of college, uh, before I had to leave. But it's very much like when you're getting ready for a game, you're getting ready to play on the field against a competitor because it's that preparation. And it just exudes from who you are and what you love as a sport. And when you get out there, really it's an embrace of all your knowledge and everything that's going on in your life. And I really kind of tell people, you know, the really cool thing about fishing is you're taking, basically you're taking bindings of feather and thread that try to imitate life. I actually stole that line from uh, my buddy, Peter James Glenn, a fantastic artist. Um, but to get back to it, you know, you're taking these imitations, these artificials, you know, these patterns, and you're trying to fool millions of years of instinct into striking something that is not natural, that is not real. And that's the really the interesting part about it because it all kind of ties in together because you have that end result where you want to fool that predator that really is at the apex of their evolutionary chain. I mean, you think about bass, tarpon, trout. At this point, they're at their apex. They're at the highest point of their evolution. And you're fooling all of that into striking something that's not natural. Hmm. When you kind of bring that preparation in and the understanding behind it and you really get into it, I have to say that's why professional athletes enjoy it so much. Because while it is a relaxing release from, you know, getting hit and <laughs> getting beat up while you're on the field or, you know, putting in those suicides at the end of basketball practice, it's a preparation that you don't necessarily have that extra stress upon because you're not going out there to compete against somebody else. You're only really competing against yourself. Mm -hmm. So in a way it's high pressure, but in another way, it's very much a release, but in a way that is comfortable for us, that allows us to continue to apply what we've learned and what's become a part of our lives. 
Uh, I think one of the biggest things uh, that, that keeps coming up on the program is, let's face it, we're usually doing this in beautiful places. Take me down this road then, Michael, if you don't mind. So how did you come to start Alt Fly Fishing Magazine? Where was the inspiration behind that? Early uh, Alt Fly Fishing kind of came up, came about for my love for the written word. And ever since I was really young, I always enjoyed writing. And, you know, it was kind of funny, um, not to bring up, you know, something that's way out there, but I remember reading Beowulf uh, when I was in high school. And it wasn't so much the story itself that grabbed my attention. It's the fact that this story, you know, they really can't pinpoint when it was created or when it was written, but their best estimates is around 1000 AD. And for something to live that long, and to be, you know, retread a millennia later is truly astounding. And that's the power of words. That's the power of, you know, getting out there, putting your literature in front of people. And, you know, being, like I said before, being that I'm, you know, I've been fly fishing for a few years, there is a rather steep learning curve to getting into fly fishing if you're coming from the conventional world. And, I kind of try to put together the information that really helped me learn and grasp it and get onto it. Because for a lot of people, it can be difficult to take something like bass fishing, something that you learn, I mean, that you know extremely well, you've learned inside and out, and you've acquired all this knowledge over, you know, years and years of getting out there and, you know, fishing, to bump back down to that newbie level and struggle to grab something. And, you know, when I speak to people, you know, a lot of my friends are conventional guys. They do have the interest in fly fishing, but there is some sort of apprehension there because they're not on that level that they're accustomed to in terms of knowledge. And I really want to kind of break that barrier down and really put the information out there that may make that learning curve a little less steep. I think it's really exciting, Michael, the, the different species that your magazine is targeting because you're really opening up the sport to the masses in my mind people that are used to fishing Carolina rigs or Texas rigs, and all of a sudden they come to discover fly fishing, and then they're they're looking at the sport from an entirely different means. Maybe talk to that a little bit. What's it like when you start using poppers and, and streamers to, I mean, it's a very different game, isn't it? Yeah, it's a complete departure from what you're used to. Uh, the biggest thing I got to say for people that are coming from the conventional side of things is trust the line. You know, when you're doing conventional fishing, your lure is the weight. Your lure is what propels your line out there and gets it to the destination. Whereas in fly fishing, it's the line that does the job. And for a lot of people that are used to bass fishing, you know, the knowledge is already there. So don't be afraid. If you're, you know, used to throwing, you know, darker color patterns and stained water, or if you're used to the pre-spawn, post-spawn, and you're used to and in tune with the bass, that knowledge will translate over. And as you get used to it, so will your understanding of fly fishing and you begin to apply what you already know to the new sport. So it decreases that curve. It's not like you're building up starting from scratch in terms of total prerequisite knowledge. You're just kind of getting used to some different terms and getting used to, of course, the casting motion. For a lot of people that follow bass fishing, they know uh, Kevin Van Dam. And he was a great source of inspiration when I was uh, first getting into bass fishing because he, his whole take was cover as much water as possible. 
And I don't think a better mindset could apply to bass fishing because the more water you cover, the more opportunities you give yourself. Now, this really kind of applies mainly during, you know, warmer months or during the spawn or during the pre-spawn and parts of the post-spawn where the fish are a little bit more aggressive. They're going to be going for these high calorie meals, these high protein meals, and they're eager, hungry, ready, and willing to hit these baits on reaction, you know, and that's the big part of bass fishing is the reaction strike. And when you get that fish to commit to the bite, I mean, you're dragging that lure across and, you know, stripping briskly, kind of keeping a good, soft, I mean, good, fast cadence on it. You're not giving that fish time to think, to go, should I hit that? <laughs> you know, do I really want that? Is that what I'm looking for? Uh, no, they're going to look at it and go, boom, I need to hit that or it's gone. So streamer fishing really is probably the best way that bass fishermen can get into fly fishing. Because a lot of the same knowledge you use when you select, you know, lipless crankbaits really applies to streamer fishing. Yeah. The only hangup that I would say is differentiating between, you know, floating line, sinking line, intermediate line. And that really kind of ties into the depth of the water and where you're fishing. Uh, South Florida, you know, we're rather lucky. We have tons of retention ponds that are typically stocked uh, with hungry, eager bass because there's not a lot of fishing going on down there. When you get out there, the water level, you know, you're talking about like on average depth three to five feet in some of these ponds. There'll be deeper pockets and ledges to work. But when you're in that shallow water, you don't really need to have these highly specialized lines. And it's an excellent way for people to get into fly fishing, especially coming from the conventional world. I'm curious about your experience, okay, doing some fly fishing for bass in, in the state of Florida and then making the move uh, further north to uh, to Michigan. Do those fish act a lot differently? Or are you targeting more smallmouth? What's your fishing day look like out there? Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance yet to target some of the largemouth and smallmouth up here. Uh, I'm itching to get out there. I'm hoping to do that this week. Got up here. My first thing out of my mouth was, I want steelhead and I want trout. Right. And a, specifically brown trout. And, you know, when you're down south, you know, you're far away from the area. And you see, you know, you go through social media, you read the magazines, you know, you cross paths with a lot of people that have that experience up north. You want to catch that fish. They are absolutely beautiful, and they just, they'll take your breath away. I mean, you know, I just got up here probably about a month ago and um, really haven't had a chance to get into smallmouth and largemouth bass yet. Um, I'm hoping to get out there this week. The water, you know, weather and water starting to warm up. But first thing that I want to do when I got up here was fish for brown trout. Um, it's something that I really don't have an opportunity to get into in South Florida. And the times I've gone out to, uh, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia, I just seem to be a rainbow trout magnet. And uh, I went up with a guy. Uh, I managed to hook up with a gentleman by the name of John Schmidt. Uh, his IG handle is Trout Bum John. Definitely want to give him a shout out. And we went out and, we went streamer fishing for, uh, for brown trout. And the patience is a little bit different from going, you know, to these retention ponds down south where pretty much every other cast is a hit to really having to throw, I mean, I, I couldn't tell how many casts I put out there, but it was a long day of streamer fishing. And if I had to call myself one thing, it's a streamer junkie. I really, really enjoy streamers, and I will take the time to throw 
you know, a thousand casts in one day if it just means one fish. <laughs> but we were fishing the Manistee River, and I managed to cast just below a tree in the shade. And I was stripping out a disco peanut. And out of the shadows emerged this beautiful brown trout, about 18 inches. And he came up and he smashed it. The streamer fishing, it really doesn't change in terms of mentality. You know, you want to get to structure. You want to get the points of interest. But the strike, the hit, and the frequency of it is something that's going to take a little bit of getting used to, especially being so far from home. Let's get back into your into your publication. So tell us a little bit about the framework, because I was flipping through your mags extensively, and I was really impressed with the the online layout. I mean, it really felt like I had the magazine in front of my face. I appreciate that. Um, you know, really with the layout, we kind of want to bring our passion for fly fishing to the forefront of readers. And we recently switched up our uh, layout really focusing on, you know, the photography and really trying to bring that imagery out. And in terms of layout, you know, we like to do a little something with the departments, you know, get a little bit of knowledge in your, in your hands, you know, like later care or working tandem rigs, you know, something that may be, you know, um, new to readers that aren't as experienced with fly fishing, but may also put a little bug in the ear of people that are used to it or maybe something to try and do something different. And the great thing with the digital platform is you don't have to go out and pick it up from a newsstand. You don't have to subscribe to it and wait for it to come in the mail. It's right there in front of you. And we don't have to take down any issues. They're there, you know, pretty much as long as the server will have us. And people can visit that and really get involved. And in terms of layout, we try and focus on a different region and a different area or a different member or different species um each issue that way we're always kind of revolving around and inspiring people in either different regions to go out and fish and you know species that may be in their backyard or guys that are fishing you know say in south florida they go you know what i really want to get out there and try my hand at steelhead you know in terms of just everything with the magazine we just want people to go out and do and we're trying to find the best way to reach people and bring that to the forefront. You know, you don't need to have, you know, all this knowledge behind you. You don't need to go out and do X, Y, Z to get out there and fish. Get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. Check out the magazine, get some tips, and go out there and attempt it. Well, I like the way, Michael, you had it laid out. Like, uh, the, well, you had the tying desk and kind of just some quick tips. Um, even some dining stuff. T- tell us... Uh, where do you plan on going in the future with that? Libations, fine dining? So in, in terms with the fine dining and libations, you know, I'm kind of a big boy. I like to eat. And when you're thinking about fly fishing, you're thinking about everything, the totality of it, it all kind of binds together with your life, kind of what we discussed before, because it's an extension of who you are. You're thinking of the water when you're off the water. And when you're on the water, you're thinking about everything that is going on in front of you. And when you come home, we want to tie into what you enjoy on the water, off the water. And I don't know how many people out there can't say that they don't enjoy a nice adult beverage when they get home from fishing, whether it's been a good day or a bad day, or if they're just sitting, cleaning their reels and setting up their fly boxes again and getting their gear cleaned out for the next trip. I couldn't agree more. Like, And that's something that 
I don't think a lot of magazines or publications are looking at it from the big picture. Like there's outdoor sports in general, and this comes up a lot too, whether it's uh, mountain biking, climbing, hiking. A lot of these um, adventures can be means to get there, to get on the water, right? So it's that whole journey. So you combine the, like you said, the beverages, whether it's breweries or wineries or whatever your 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 drink of choice or your food of choice, there's so many different ways you can go. And I just, I really, I got to give you some kudos, Michael, because I really thought the way you're setting up your magazine, especially your last edition, seemed like you've changed it a little bit and it's really kind of coming into form. I appreciate that. And there's one thing I'm terrible at, it's accepting any kind of praise. So I'm a little bit over here, awkward turtle. Um, but you know, we're, we're really trying to get it all together in a way that we blend not only the sport, but your lifestyle, like I said, and you know, really what embodies to be a fly fisherman or woman. I got, I got to put you out on the water in your own mind for a second. If you don't mind, I always like to ask my guests, describe your ideal day. If you could have your day anyway on the water, what does that look like? If, if you can paint a little picture for us. I say a perfect day for me would be fill up my truck with a tank full of gas, put me down in Miami or just south of Miami. You know, the beautiful thing about South Florida is, you know, I'll hear a salt guy say, you never know what's going to come up out of that water. And I don't think a description could apply any more than to the waters in South Florida. You know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse to have such biodiversity at our doorstep down there because it's come at the cost of, you know, the native species, you know, native Florida, you know, we pretty much destroyed the Everglades, completely shut off the water flow. I mean, to say they are trying conservation efforts, but I don't believe it'll ever be the way it was. And then along with all these water management um, projects, you know, started in the late, I mean, early 1900s, you know, you had the canals and with the population boom and South Florida was pretty much the epicenter for the exotic, uh, you know, tropical fish aquarium trade that people would take these fish and if they're no longer wanted, they would dump them in the water. And the nice, you know, subtropical climate of South Florida, a humid, warm climate, along with very few, you know, specialized species down there. Cause really South Florida, the fauna and the flora you find down there are at the extent of their southernmost range. But you've had all these exotic species come in, like Mayan cichlids, the various tilapia species, and you've even had some reports of, you know, red-tailed catfish coming in from the Amazon and a few other catfish species. And most regrettably, we've had a lot of snakehead come in. And, you know, it adds a thrill for anglers. You know, you could get out there, you could get into nearly 20 species in one day. And not to mention some of these canals and lakes that are close to – you know, close to the ocean, close to the brackish waters, will get snook, tarpon, and a few other saltwater inshore game fish. So you get out there, you can have a really good day. But unfortunately, that's really kind of come at a cost. So my perfect day would be to get down there because at any given moment, I could pull out an Oscar, I could pull out a peacock bass, I could pull out a, a Mayan cichlid, I could get into a snook, and then some of the more local species like crappie and largemouth bass. So really, you know, it's hard to say anything negative about South Florida besides the fact that all this biodiversity and this great fishery has come at the cost of the species that first called it home. I think it's uh, that's well put because 
I know from my experience, and, and not that I've fished uh, the waters of Florida um, at all, to be quite honest, but um, I have been, uh, you know, on, on salmon rivers when, when uh, you've got maybe four or five different species of salmon in the river at any one time, not to mention whether you've got cutthroat trout, rainbow trout in there feeding on the eggs, and you just don't know what you're going to catch. Anytime you get a hit, it's kind of like, okay, that's, uh, what, what's it going to be this time, right? Yep. You know, it's very similar here. We've, uh, Michigan's introduced quite a few species to its water. And, um, you know, speaking of environmentally, there's a whole host of issues going on up here. And uh, most notably is the uh, loss of Arctic grayling. Um, and that species got completely wiped out in the 1930s. And, you know, I can't admonish our, uh, our forefathers too much. You know, nature to them was an inexhaustible resource that was meant for man to conquer. And environmentalism really didn't take root uh, when, you know, all these poor practices were put into place here. But, you know, we've had the introduction of brown trout. We've introduced numerous other, you know, salmon species here. And it's really become, you know, an excellent fishery. But the hands of man are all over it. And good news is they're trying to bring back, you know, the Arctic grayling uh, to the waters here. And they've tried to do that several times. I think the last time they really made an attempt was in the 1980s. But they're looking at uh, recently uh, putting some in, I think they believe, the Manistee and the Jordan River this diversity in a lot of these different species here in Michigan. Well, it's nice to kind of like South Florida have so much, you know, right there, ready, waiting for you. You know, there's been a lot of species and that's the big concern is, you know, you have these now planted established species. How are entry or how is introducing a, a native species back into this native range going to be affected by all these outside uh, species? We're chatting on the program today with Michael Ippolito of Alt Fly Fishing Magazine. Uh, check it out online. What's the best way that people can do that, Michael? Um, throw some tags and some handles out there where we can find you. Well, I would say the best way to keep in touch with us is to check out our Instagram, which is Alt Fly Fishing Magazine. Uh, you can also check out our website. Uh, we're slowly bringing more and more content there, uh, which is altflyfishing.com. Pop on IG, give us a like, give us a follow and see what we're up to. If you could change something about fly fishing, this is kind of a, it's a bit of a weird question, but I like to throw it out there with all the guests that I have. Is there anything you'd like to see us do differently uh, as fly fishers or differently as, as a group? I don't like elitism in any shape or form. You know, I worked in a music shop when I was younger uh, in college, and we had this guy, let's just call him X, and we'd have new guitar players coming in and, They'd pick up, you know, a shiny new guitar or something that they would love to have one day. And they'd plug it into an app that they'd love to have one day. And just for a moment, they'd like to sit back and dream and play and think about what they could be. And uh, this guy X would walk up to them, unplug their guitar, turn off the amp, and tell them, get out. Come back to me and laugh about it. He goes, oh, my God, that guy's terrible. He'll never be any good, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of see that at times in the fly community. And, you know, our sport isn't a competition. And I don't think our sport should be a competition. It's not about being a better caster than somebody. It's not about tying better flies than somebody. And it's certainly not about putting anybody down. If you want to compete with somebody in the sport, compete with yourself. Mm -hmm. That's really who you should be out there going against on the water is beating your personal best, trying to, 
you know, get a new pattern established, trying to better yourself and your knowledge and your intimacy with the water. And I can't single anybody out. And I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. But if I got to say something to anybody listening, guys, remember when you were just a young guppy trying to learn this for the first time, you're going to have pitfalls. You're going to have, you're going to be crossing elbows with people or rubbing elbows with people, I should say. And you should do your best to be a steward of the sport. And if you're out there around conventional guys, heck, bring them to the dark side. Talk to them a little bit. Strike up a conversation. You know, and they're not going to know what the heck you're talking about in some cases. But this sport is a beautiful sport to learn and be a part of. And there is so much room for people to jump on and be a part of our group. And it's up to us to bring them over and do our best to not only be stewards of the sport, but teachers as well. You know, the true measure of somebody isn't how successful they are. It's how many people they've made successful while they've done it. Mm, I like that. That's, that's good stuff. Hey, on that vein, since you started Alt Fly Fishing Magazine and, and kind of gone from issue to issue to issue, what's some of your takeaways uh, since you started this? Like, is there something that kind of, you went, man, I wish I would have realized that before I started or something you've really learned in this process? You know, it's hard to pinpoint because there's just so much learning going on when it comes to producing a magazine. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to cross paths with a lot of great people that are really into the sport uh, that have shared their knowledge with me. And that's another part of the sport to love is the fact that you're never done learning. And then to bring it on the business side of things and on the production side of things, you know, whether it's the layout of the magazine, um, cutting a picture the right way, or even just going back through and editing and wording it differently, you know, you really don't know what you could be doing better until the magazine's out there and you're sitting there going, oh my God, is this any good as you're rereading it and going through it. And it's interesting because, you know, me and my production team, or my production team and I, if I'm saying I'm running a magazine, I might as well speak properly. Um, you know, we'll go through it and we have our blinders on. We're used to the way we talk. We're used to interacting with each other. We're used to each other's photography. When we put it out there and we get feedback from other people, we get tons of great stuff we never even thought of. And to pinpoint one thing, it's, you know, it's really difficult. Um, I mean, one thing I would point out, is, you know, my first issue, the, the half issue, was kind of like a teaser, was when I was writing about the Everglades. You know, if you're going to bring on something ambitious and you're worried about getting too wordy or you're worried about the presentation of it, you know, don't cut it short. Don't try and worry about, you know, what are they going to think about this, think about that. Write your heart out. Mm. Put yourself all the way out there. And then in terms of technique and knowledge, you know, really – you know, I could talk about, you know, doing the chuck and duck for steelhead. And there's a million different ways to rig up your chuck and duck. And there's a million different ways to do, you know, you know, just about anything with fly fishing. You know, a thing I'll talk to somebody about the fluorocarbon leader that I'm using or the tippet, you know, the butt section, the midsection, and dissecting all, dissecting all that in the 60-20-20 rule. You know, there's so many different ways to approach fly fishing. And that adds to the depth and when you're trying to single out one little thing or you're trying to single out what you could be doing better, it's very much like fly fishing. There's a million things you'd be doing better. And if you're completely satisfied with what, what you're doing and if you think you've got all the answers, 
you know, it may be a difficult, <laughs> difficult <laughs> realization to go. At any given moment, I could come across something and be completely humbled by it. Yeah. I want to jump on something you just kind of hit on for me, and I know that sticks sticks with me. You said just write your heart out. Like, don't worry about getting too wordy. And, you know, I think with the current state of media, whether it's online publications like yourself um, or even a, this podcast, the format is freestyle now. It's not like, okay, you got to fit this in a 15-minute program. And for me, usually by the time the 15 minutes is up, I finally get interested. You start going deeper. You know what I mean? And I would assume that writing is the same way uh, in the online form. Yeah, I'm glad you, you brought it up that way and you worry that way because you know, that's pretty much exactly what I wanted to say about you know my article on you know, in the half issue, the teaser issue about the Everglades is, you know, you get into that point, you get through it, and before you realize, you're like, oh, shoot, I have, you know, I've gone way past what I originally intended. And, you know, one of the biggest movies that came out, you know, Iron Man, um, I forget what year it came out, but it was, you know, one of the first movies in the Marvel series. I wrote something interesting that the entire script was almost ad-lib. It was all improvised, you know, improvised. Hmm. And, you know, it's it's kind of interesting, what you know, to leave it open because then you really get that moment. You really get the essence of what people are trying to say, or, you know, in the case of the movie, people getting into their character and then letting that character flow through them. And I think that's kind of what you touched on there is like, once we get flowing, once we get into the meaty stuff, we go way past our time or we really want to continue exploring. And, you know, that's the great part about the media now is that you can do what you want to do on social media, on podcasts, and put it out there. You're not set in stone like, hey, you got a 30-minute block. That's all you get. Okay, bye. <laughs> and it's a great expression for not only fishermen, but artists as well. Yeah, I think that's that, that's really well put. And that's what attracts me to the current media forms that are out there. Because I, I did, back in the day, spend some time in radio. And everything was very segmented. It had to be within that five to ten minute. You better get to the, the crux of what you want to ask and get that answer right away. Whereas what I find is the longer I talk with people the easier it gets, you know, to have a conversation. And then all of a sudden, when the blinders are off, that's when you start getting to the to the good stuff. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I came into this, I was a little nervous, <laughs> usually on the other side of things. And I mean, truth be told, I'm not a very eloquent talker. That's why I kind of lined myself more to writing. Um, but, you know, once you get into that, once you build that connection with somebody, it's hard to do that. Like, okay, we got five-minute spot ready, go. Or if I go to talk to somebody in an interview and I have, you know, here's all my bullet points. Well, if I have, you know, I want to hit all these points and this is it. And this is all the time or all the space I have allotted to it. I may miss something big that they're trying to discuss with me. Mm-hmm. And something that can be, you know, can be brought up to our readers that could either inspire them or give them a great clue and on something they may be overlooking. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I, I find that too. If you have too much structure... Uh, what it doesn't do is you can't flex. You can't go with, so you want to go down a certain path on your fly fishing history. And then all of a sudden I just start asking who your biggest influences are. It's like, mate, that's not the right time. It's, it's a bit of a dance and it's been a learning curve for me. It's, uh, but I, I feel really grateful when I get to chat with somebody like yourself that, um, it amazes me, Michael, how many people are so passionate about the fly fishing industry and how many people are so willing to share their stories and their knowledge. I've, I've actually never experienced it in, in any other field. You know, I think, you know, I think at the heart of all of us, um, you know, especially when it comes to passion, is something burning 
and we want to share it with somebody. We have this fire and, you know, you know, there's an image that's gone around with social media, you know, where they have someone, they're standing there, they have a wick in their chest and there's someone standing next to them that has a wick in their chest as well, but it's on fire and they reach over and they light the other person's wick. And I think when we share that passion, we want to share that fire as well. Like, Oh, I love fly fishing. Cause there's always something we can connect upon when it comes to the sport. You know, whether it's our love for streamer fishing or if you have a saltwater guy talking to a Euro nymphur, you know, it's, we still have the same desire. We still want to feel that tug. We still want to put our knowledge to use. And that shared desire to understand our surroundings, be one with nature and get out there and fish and get out there and better ourselves every day. I think that shared passion is what makes us so easy to connect to each other. I think on that note, appreciate you uh, taking my call, and I wish you all the success in the world with Alt Fly Fishing Magazine. Uh, Have yourself a great evening. I appreciate that, and I wish you the same as well. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.